Good morning. How are we all doing? Okay. Surviving? Yes. Happy Easter. I remember we used to go up to, uh, I'm from Newton Arts, and we used to go up to Scrabble Tower at 6.30 in the morning, and you couldn't hear a thing because it was just, because it was so windy. And they said, Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Um, so he's alive. Yeah, some of us are excited. Tissy's excited. Tissy's always excited. Tissy isn't here. I'm stuffed. Well, it's good to have you. My name's Colin Woodward. I'm the pastor here. I know I look too young, but hey. My dad, I was, stand, I was standing in the garden recently and dad looked over at me and said, uh, starting to go a bit old there, son. What do you do with that? He said, just, just the way the sunlight's catching in there, you can see your wrinkles. Thanks, dad. Great to see you. Okay, so it's Easter Sunday, if you didn't know already. This is our primary date on our Christian calendar. And today we celebrate that Jesus is alive. Isn't that right? Some of us are, that's all right. We're working at the minute on a, a series, uh, seamlessly done, Gareth, on called Kingdom Worldview. Basically, a worldview is like wearing a pair of glasses. So if you're wearing sunglasses, obviously it darkens things. Glasses can actually edit out different things. It's how we understand the world. So I used the example uh, a number of weeks ago. You can have two people coming into a new group of people say a party or something, uh, one person will come away and go, they were just amazing. And the other person will come away and go, no, they're not very nice. I didn't feel welcome at all. One person comes in going, let's just chat and get to know everybody. The other person comes in going, nobody's going to like me. I feel pretty rejected anyway. And what do you know? They find what they were looking for. So what we're talking about is about having a kingdom worldview, about taking our glasses off and seeing things in reality. And we've made the point that the Bible is the only a source that is obviously God's word that can tell us what reality actually is, that has the authority to tell us what reality is. Could you turn that just down ever so slightly? So we've worked through uh, hiddenness or transparency. We've looked at fear or faith. And for those of you who weren't here last year, Andrew must have said, do not be... Not said with a lot of gusto, but he must have said it about 43 times last week. So did anybody else at different points go, do not be afraid when things happen during the week? Um, and I've been eating Psalm 191 ever since. So if you haven't already checked that one out, check it out. It's good stuff. Oh, Psalm 91. And Colin's credibility just goes out the window. Hey, we're all human, all right? Okay, so let's, today we're talking about dead or alive. Let's look at dead first. We'll start with the bad news first. So the dictionary definition is no longer alive. Big shocker there. Deceased, expired, departed, or gone. The Bible's definition of dead or alive. John 10.10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life in all its fullness. So at this part, we're looking at part A, uh, kill, steal, or destroy. Now, if you look into the Greek The Greek to kill means to, now this is really interesting, to offer as a spiritual sacrifice. So the enemy wants to offer your life as a spiritual sacrifice. It's not really very nice, is it? You think about what Jesus did, what's going on there? He wants you to pay the price. It all went quiet there. We're, we, you know, I I think that really, if we're being honest, our worldview on the enemy is that he's, he's just a wee bit bad. He's just a wee, wee bit of a lovable rogue. No, he, he's out to destroy you. Take you off of the face of the earth. Uh, rape your life completely of everything that is good and true and have it utterly destroyed. 
It's like uh, the animal that will uh, destroy an animal, have fun with it, throw it about till it's limp and it's within an inch of its life and then cut its throat. He wants to destroy you. And until we understand that, we don't really know what we're dealing with. The other thing then is to steal. The Greek says to take, steal secretively by stealth. It'll rob you blind, literally. Um, And destroy, which means to fully cut off entirely. And it's accomplished by temptation and deception. So if you have your Bibles, it's Genesis 3, 6. I'm going to fire a lot of verses at you today. And this was after looking at what God had told Eve not to entertain. After the snake brought it to her attention, in Genesis 3, 6, it says, She saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some and ate it. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life, all encompassed in deception. So that's how he works. So if you look at any of his activity in your life, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. We settle for and put up with really the false mature statement of that's life. Well, that's just life, isn't it? Many of us have said that. Well, it's just life. It's just the way it is. And I was talking with someone recently, and uh, I just said, no, it sounds an awful lot like death to me. We do this whole, well, sure, just is what it is really, isn't it? Just sucks. Just got a really good work, pay our bills, try not to shout at the kids, kill our wives, pay the bills we need to pay, maybe get a holiday, look forward to that holiday, nothing wrong with looking forward to a holiday, but if that's your be all and end all, really, there's got to be more to life than that. Really, is that just it? I think that sounds an awful lot like death. Dead and death is existence minus life. So really, I'm not sure that the enemy's greatest desire is to to kill us. I mean, I think ultimately that's what he wants. But he wants it to be that you're living an empty, hollow existence rather than a life. And I am quite sure, I'm going to put my hand up and say there's been times in life where that has been my experience. It's just been, I'm alive, but it's just my body. I'm not really experiencing life. Anybody else be able to identify with that? The enemy's desire is to lead you to where he can steal, kill, and destroy you from those around you as well. Don't forget about that. Just like whenever you throw the stone into the pond, the ripples go out and out and out. And our lives get touched by um, really the darkness that's going on in other people's lives. Isn't that true? If you're around somebody and you know they've just got all, all of their stuff, it's going to affect you. And you've got to make a decision whether you're going to then let that process continue on. Have you ever noticed that there are certain people that you're around that you just, you just either want to dislike them or reject them or uh, it's a lustful thing or it's just, it's just like... It's, just an, it's nearly like the natural way that you want to treat them. Is it just me? Yeah, there is, isn't there? You just kind of feel that. Well, our job as believers, and we're going to start going up the mountain of hope in a minute as we're all down here going, cheapers. this is Easter Sunday, it's not even Friday. Save us. But the, the natural disposition, if you yield to that, is that you just start to perpetuate what the enemy's doing in your life. And if you look at where the enemy attacks you, it's always very specific. So uh, John Eldridge, the author of Wild, Wild at Heart, said that there's a message in the arrows. So the arrows will normally come to a certain point and bring that message of you're rejected, you're never going to be, you'll never do this, you're always that, you're always this. So if we choose when we meet those individuals just to keep going with that rather than to stand in the opposite spirit. Now the joy that we have, I'm going to talk, let's lighten it a little. The joy that we have is we can be used by God to start to revert that process. So if you're around someone and you're desperate or just, just, I want to really just get away from you. Why don't you go, you're really, I'm really enjoying being with you. 
not as a lie, but as a stance of I'm going to honor you as a child of God and say, you know, do you want to come and spend time with me? And as you do that, you start to take back some ground. I don't want the enemy to have any stuff in my life. Don't. It's hateful. It's dark. Just steals from everybody. I just really don't want that. You've got to understand the enemy desires to destroy you because you bear the image of God and you're deeply, deeply loved by God. And he is the person that the enemy hates most of all. Have we got that? Judging by the silence, I think we might. You've got an enemy and he hates you deeply and he wants to destroy you. You've got to be aware of that. If you're not aware of that, you'll just think, why does this keep happening in my life? Why does this keep going on? Why is it when you're about to go and do stuff that's overtly for God that all of a sudden there's an argument? What's that all about? Or what whenever you're, you know, I remember I, I had the sense that God wanted to teach me about trusting him. Um, and it was about finances. Always struggled with finances. Every time I was doing our money, I always felt really like, just there. and it was the fear of, is it going to be all right? It's going to be okay. And I said to God, okay, I'm done. I don't want to feel like this anymore. I'm just going to trust you. Can anybody tell me what happened to me next? No, I didn't. I got a massive tax bill. <laughs> and I literally sat. I, I like your hopeful statement there. <laughs> Love it to be the case. And then I got £3,333. Exactly. My tax bill came through the door. No, it didn't. Sometimes that happens. But no, it didn't happen that way. What did happen was I sat in the car and I wept my little eyeballs out. And I said, God, I'm going to trust you. And I came home and I wept some more. And my, what age was Isaac? About a year and a half. And we were standing in the kitchen. I was really, you know, the, one of those. And I had my head down. And my little one and a half year old reached out, grabbed my chin and lifted my head up. And it was okay. And actually, uh, how God did it was incredible. Someone who deeply and dearly loved me uh, got on the phone. I was telling them about it. And then they rang up and they wept and said, I really want to help you. And the relationship got even tighter. And the tax bill got paid. And I learned that actually God does exactly what he says he's going to do. But it wasn't a shiny little check. And it was all sweet and lovely. It was awful. It sucked. And I wish it wasn't like that. Anybody else with me? Does God frustrate you ever? No? You all good with it? We frustrates the life out of me. Do you, no? I stand in the shower and go, God, why do you do it this way? And he feels no obligation to give me any answer whatsoever. Anybody else have that experience at all? He does not work like we work. He is not afraid of you. He is not afraid of losing your love. He is not going to be manipulated by you. He's not going to change his ways because you want him to change his ways. He waits for us to go, all right, I've done it my way. And sometimes I think he goes, yeah, it's not working well for you, is it? No, it's not working well for me. It's not been really, really good. I know. Come here. He's a good, good father. Okay, let's go to hope. So Jesus came to give us life. Now, the Greek word for life is zoe, which is the absolute fullness of life. And in this kingdom, Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So we find what we're looking for by losing it. We embrace by letting go. We find our life by losing it. 
This is a topsy-turvy kingdom. That's why we've got to act in the opposite spirit so many times in our lives. The people that you want to reject, turn around and accept them. The people that you don't want to be anywhere near, get close to them. The stuff that you don't like about the other person, embrace them. This is the kingdom where everything is upside down. Why did Jesus die? Well, part of it's contained in that, Matthew 16, 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me will find it. But I want to read a huge chunk from Isaiah 53. So if you've got your Bibles there, if you go to 53 with me. How long do you leave for people to find it? Anybody know? Is there like a, is it like in the pastor's 101 book? 53 seconds or something like that? Okay, Isaiah 53, verse 1. He had... All right, love. For those who aren't clear, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of sufferings and familiar with pain. Any of you had that? Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. Jesus died so that we could have life and life in all its fullness. If you miss that he suffered abuse that he was abandoned, that he was ejected, that he was despised, that he wasn't a beautifully attractive person that people were drawn to because he looked pretty. He suffered. John, 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of Man was made manifest, and I love that word, which literally means to make visible, was to undo, which is destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works of the devil. Steal, kill, and destroy. Just, and the Lord's way was to destroy, loosen, and dissolve. And then here's the old favorite. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not die but have life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Only the enemy condemns. If you're feeling condemned today, who's that from? Certainly not God. But he sent his son to save the world through him. God accomplishes things differently than we do. He just, he just does. And if you want to follow him, you're going to have to play and dance to his rhythm, which is often going to be different to the rhythm of everybody else. But after a while, does it really matter? His is the only one we want to listen to. Now, Jesus died at Golgotha. And what is Golgotha? Golgotha means, you should, you, most of you would know that, the place of the, place of the skull. Isaiah 55, verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. So let your understanding die at Golgotha with Jesus Christ. If you want to go on this journey, you're going to have to abandon your worldview, how you think this is going to work, how he's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. If you imagine, I was thinking about this, um, if you were at school and someone just laid down in front of you 
something that's symbolic of where you were going to go. Say it's a teacher or a doctor. Somebody puts down a stethoscope or somebody puts down, a, you know, the symbol of the apple. They put down the apple and go, you know, somebody's going to put an apple on your desk. You would probably busy about to try and make that happen in your own understanding, following your path and da 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 But actually, what this is about is if you go after God, he may take you on a total bunny trail. Forrest Gump, anybody love Forrest Gump apart from me? Oh, come on, what a great film. Uh, You know the feather at the start, and the feather blows about, goes everywhere, and Forrest uh, just seems to go wherever the wind takes him. Well, I wanted to run, so I ran. And then his friend Bubba Gump and the shrimp, and they're all laughing at him, and then there's this massive hurricane. And then what does he say? Mama got me involved in some fruit company. He just did. He just took hold of the feather and just went wherever he needed to go. Well, this journey, Jesus said that those who are born of the Spirit are going to be moved by the Spirit. They'll go really where the wind of the Spirit's going to take them. And if we just follow him wherever he leads us, we'll get to our destiny. But it's going to be beyond our own understanding. There's going to be some point where we're going to have to go, right, I don't know what's happening here. I think he does. All right. So let your understanding die at Golgotha with Jesus Christ. Because it's only after it's died that it can be resurrected. Friday happened. Jesus died. And the last thing that you and I need is a dead God. Am I right? And I think sometimes that we, this is not heresy, but I think sometimes we spend too much time at the cross. The cross was a doorway through which we get to life. This is about life. This is about him coming and us living life in all its fullness. Yes, we've got to embrace the cross. We have to. We've got to die daily. We've got to pick up our own crosses. But it's over there. It's in life. It's not in death. It's in resurrection. Jesus Christ is alive. He's not there anymore. The Father let him pay the price so that the price wasn't on our heads anymore. And if you are suffering with condemnation, if you are desperately trying to pay for the stuff that you've done wrong, stop it. It happened once. The hammer fell once and it happened on Jesus Christ. And Jesus willingly laid down his life for you. Until you really grasp a hold of that, you haven't grasped a hold of anything. He died for you willingly. He wrestled with his soul man absolutely in the garden. If there's any other way, please do it. Would you not? When God asks you to die to some things, do you not go, is there no other way? Do you not think in the middle of the finance lesson that yours truly was learning, I would go, is there not some check that could pop through the door and take away all my problems? But we just let our soul man die. And we go, your way, not my way. And in the end, we're pretty thankful that we did. Because had a check popped through the front door, I'd still be struggling with fear of finances. But because it didn't, because it went okay, I just saw that God can do whatever he wants to do. All I have to do is trust him. Only that which is truly dead can be brought back to life, and it takes God to do it. There's a principle in the word of God that's really laid down by Jesus' life. Birth of a vision, death of a vision, and supernatural resurrection. Birth of a vision, death of a vision, and supernatural resurrection. And until you put those glasses on and view a lot of the things that happen in your life, you're just going to go, why does stuff never work out for me? Why is it always a no? Well, sometimes we'll have to stand in the place of the no and go, heaven's still saying yes. 
people around you will probably be going, no, you need to let go of that now. No, that's not, no, I, th- I thought that was a wee bit grandiose for you, you know. But if heaven's still saying yes, what are you going to do? How about you just stay there and go, all right. And actually, birth of a vision, death of a vision, supernatural resurrection. Come on now. The virgin birth and bodily resurrection, these are two immovable anchors that we've got to have in place. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in Mary's womb. He was a God-man. Jesus lived and died and he was resurrected. He paid the price once and for all and he said, it is finished, it is balanced, the debt is paid, it is done. The hammer fell once and it fell on Jesus Christ. That's it, right? So get this. So if you've made a mistake, if you do not love Jesus, then you need to sort that out. If you do love him and you have made a mistake, where do you go and what do you do? You want to feel bad? You want to... Do the whole, oh, it's terrible, I shouldn't have done that, I'm the worst in the world. Another wee thought pops in your head, yeah, I've done this all the time, this is just me, this is the way it is. Another thought pops in, you did that to that person, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. How about you tell that thought to shut up, Second Corinthians 10, 5, hold every thought captive and lead it away in the obedience of Jesus Christ, and you go, the hammer fell once on Jesus Christ. And in humility you go, God, I'm sorry, I receive that you've forgiven me, and you walk on. Does that sound a wee bit better? Now, it's going to kill your pride because really what we're trying to do is to say that we're God. We can take, we can sort out and pay the price for what we've done wrong. Well, we cannot. We never will be able to because Jesus did it. So here's the good stuff. Post-resurrection, Jesus frequently appeared. He wasn't recognized. He ate, he had physical matter, and he had presence. He did really normal things like he ate fish. Super natural it's really really natural I, if you're a bit like me I kind of thought that he would have this heavenly body that went Ooh, anywhere he walked Ooh. anybody else with me he would have this light that was with him all the time and he would be kind of hazy a wee bit like a ghost unless it's just me on my own there no but he, he just did normal things just showed up to people he was touched by Thomas be careful what you say unless I see oh <laughs> Anybody else done that? Well, unless God does this. I remember Claire prayed one time, God, if you want to go, give me a sign. And the next day it went, ding. And I went, right, love? And she's like, oh, no. Oh, no. What am I going to do? So for Thomas, unless I see, unless I put my finger into those scars, unless. And then Jesus showed up and he was able to do that. He spoke for Mary. Mary thought he was the gardener. Do you realize how comfortable God is with not being known? He's all right. I love it. Sometimes when I'm talking with people, I always had a conversation during the week. I used to smoke. Um, I had a thought in my head. I was in Hunter's Bar in Belfast. had a thought in my head, which was, don't have any more cigarettes. had another cigarette. I completely lost my voice. Was I in love with Jesus at the time? Not at all. Was I terrified? Absolutely, yes. So I stopped smoking. Now, I was communicating this in work, and this gentleman said, so would you say that that is the voice of your higher self? I said, no, I'm a Christian, so I would say it's God. So you would say that it's a form of God. No, I would say it's God. Let's not make this complicated. So he spoke. It was the tone of his voice that Mary went, Rabbi, it's you. So he was normal. He appeared in places where the doors were locked tight. He disappeared and vanished. He was physically there and not visible. God holds the key. This is cool. 
God holds the key to translate matter from physical substance to spirit at the speed of thought. Have you ever thought of that? That's like Star Trek stuff. Jesus really was there as a physical person like I am, I am now, and bing, he was gone. He was somewhere else. So I don't know about you, but this whole concept of what's possible in this kingdom that we're a part of is maybe a wee bit bigger and what we think of it as impossible than we first thought. Is anybody else with me? God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. It's like the matrix. He can get anywhere, anytime, to anybody, in any shape or any form. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, this is cool, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So when Jesus came, uh, died and then was resurrected, he was liberated and he was free. All bets are off. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible, Mark 10, 27. So the resurrection throws us violently out of the limitation of our own understanding and into a different realm, which is God's world of possibility. So if you're here today and you're going, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. When you look at the story of Jesus being resurrected, he is either the son of God or he is a madman, as C.S. Lewis said. But he's alive. And he's not restricted by the same laws of physics as we are. Jesus performed performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, have life in his name. By believing. By believing. He is alive. No, some of you are pretty. Well, I'm dead. Please stop talking, Colin. He is alive. Well, the next question is, well, what if you don't believe that? Oh, glad you asked that question. The Emmaus Road. Anybody read the story of the Emmaus Road? Okay. So please go to the Emmaus Road if you can find it. Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Emmaus means despised or obscure. Despised means contempt, distaste, disgust or disdain, scorn or loathing. Obscure means uncertain. The enemy uses uncertainty. He's not a fan of absolutes, absolutes even. Did God really say? So Jesus died. They had been brought reports from Mary that he was alive. They didn't believe her. So they decided to walk away, walk away into obscurity, into um, the place that was despised. They were journeying away from Jerusalem, which is a place of promise and God's activity. Why would they do that? What was that about? Well, let's go to verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? God does not ask a question because he doesn't know the answer. And what happens when he asks the question and we answer? Well, it really declares to us our position and where we're at. So if he's asking you a question, answer him. It'll help you understand what's going on. So going on with verse 17, they stood still. Their faces were downcast. One of them called Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? 
What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, he was a prophet. Well, that's partly true. He was a little bit more than that. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, past tense, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since it all took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to see the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. They were downcast. They were sad. They were grieving. They were fearful. They were disappointed. They were misunderstood. They were misunderstanding. Their worldview had edited out the truth. So where are you this Easter Sunday? Are you in Jerusalem? Are you standing there going, "Uh, no, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to wait for him to come. Birth of a vision, death of a vision. I am waiting for that supernatural resurrection. Or were you in Jerusalem? Were you on board with God and everything was going good and then the vision completely died and at that point you thought, I just want to forget this. This is too hard. I just want ease. I'm going to head towards Emmaus. Did the Jesus that you knew seem to disappear and die? Has that been your experience? You were close with him. Everything seemed to be going great. And then it just seemed like he disappeared. Birth of a vision, death of a vision, supernatural resurrection. Let's keep that in our heads. Verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the things that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them that what was said in in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village that they were going to, Jesus continued on as if if he was going further. And they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus is with you, whether you've recognized his presence or not. Whether you're on the road to a mess, whether you're standing in Jerusalem, or whether you've actually just bought property in a mess and you've decided to settle down. Wherever you are, whether you can see him or not, He is with you. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then the eyes of their hearts, they were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sights. Anybody else get a little frustrated that God does that? It seems like he comes and then, whoa, and you're like, oh, come on. Do you remember the land, the witch, and the wardrobe? The new one? They say he's not a safe lion. He's there one minute, and then he's away. Well, we just can't see him, but he's here all the time. They said and asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? At that point, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Can I get you guys up to start to play? So when you realize that Jesus is with you, you're going to come back to where you were meant to be. Your understanding, you've got to get this, cannot handle what he's up to. He never left you. He never will. He hasn't abandoned you. He cannot abandon you. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He just wouldn't do that. So this Easter... Do you want to come back? Do you want to come out of obscurity? 
Do you want to come out of any contempt that you're in? Do you want to come out of any offense that you might have? Whether that's offense with God, you didn't like how he did it, or you felt that you were just didn't do what he said he was going to do. Do you want to come out of hiding? Do you want to come home and be healed? I do. I don't want to be left outside. Do you want to come out of your isolation and be embraced? Do you want to come out of your position of unbelief and stop doubting and belief? Do you want to come back to Jerusalem and come back to life? It is all true. Every bit of it. Jesus Christ is alive. Anybody agree with that? He is alive. We don't have a dead God. He's right here and he's right now. Will you stand with me? Every time that uh, there's a message being spoken, we want to ask people to respond because this is not just about words. And we always give out questions to help you to respond. Now, if it was me, I'd be coming up anyway. Just to think I don't need questions. Today, this is about life, and it's about life in all its fullness. So do you want that? Is that something that you really want to have? Do you feel like I've just compromised? I've just gone, oh, that's life. I've just settled. Has the enemy killed, stolen, and brought destruction in your life? Come on up. Do you want to come back from a mess? Do you want to come back to what God has promised for you? If you can answer yes to any of those questions, then please come and join me now at the front.